a Highline podcast. I also had to dig holes today. Trench 250 feet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a lot. Took like five hours of digging. Oh my God. I'm grumpy. <laughs> you wear your back brace? No. And my back is killing you gotta me. Gotta wear your back brace. I know I do. I'm gonna get a back brace. <laughs> you can have mine. I never wear it. <laughs> Maybe I should take yours. <laughs> uh, all right. I try to have a non uh, um, complaining policy, and we're recording now. Okay. So everyone heard this. I'm just going to leave it in. Yeah, leave it. Yeah, I'm complaining <laughs> like a little sissy baby. No, you're... Um, it's all good. Overall, today was a massive success. I had to dig some holes. No one else was going to do it, so I had to. <laughs> all right, it's my job. I got to... Someone's got to dig the holes. They got dug. I'm the general, and right. I suckered my own self into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> But oh. it was all good. So, yeah, we were catching up. Kat and I have not seen each other in like 20 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, life has been crazy. We had fun time a couple weeks ago for Kat's birthday. That's right. Yes, just a lot of work, a lot of family stuff going on. Yeah. Um, been a bit overwhelming, but we're back. Yeah, thank you, listeners, for your patience. Yes. <laughs> so We've had to take some time. We are here. This has probably been since last... July, the craziest month I've had in a year. Mm. It's been the most hectic. It's the most tired I've ever been in like a year. In a year, uh, but it's also been one of the best months of the year. So it's go. great. The, the good has outweighed the bad. That's for sure. Good. At least on my side. And, and so, yeah. Other minor updates. There's no. There's no updates. I've just been literally working all the time. <laughs> yeah, I hurt my back. <laughs> oh my! I forgot about that. That's right. You hurt your back, and now I'm. But now, look, I'm sitting all crooked again and comfortable. Great. So, I guess I'm fine. <laughs> Walking in my footsteps. Yeah. Now I can um, share in your. Like, so we can commiserate about back pain. Last together. July is when I hurt my back. That's right. And you threw your back out at the yeah. beginning of July. Ugh. And then this week, I definitely tweaked my back again. So happy one anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> I know. I need to be. I catch myself slacking, and I realize like. I gotta use my core, yeah. not sit the way I'm sitting right now. I've been doing yeah. a lot of like pregame and ibuprofen. Like this morning, I was like, oh, oh my just... gosh. Okay. Yes, but I rarely do that. Okay. But today it was like, all right, we're yeah. pop, we're popping four this morning. <laughs> well, I guess if you're digging, yeah, 250 feet, you said yeah. of a trench. Yeah, I yeah. guess you need around the building. Yeah, you, you need to. But you know, it's funny. It took me longer than it should have. But, you know, I'm kind of, you know, standing kind of awkward, but I had like good back posture. Okay. Yeah. So it was like very like Just mechanical. Engage your core. I think yeah, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, it was like very thing. mechanical digging. Yeah. So like I'm covered in dirt and smell bad for sure. Nice. So <laughs> sorry, cat. No, or, it's all good. Or uh, you're stuck in this hot room with me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm like pig pen from uh, the peanuts. There's like little dust clouds and little flies around your head flying. Yeah. <laughs> My hair. I need a haircut. So it's like, I don't know what I look like right now, but like you might want to look away. You look fine. Like, Medu- like Medusa or something. I don't know. Probably got like birds in my hair. 
it has been an interesting month, but good things. All good things. In the month, too. Kat just told us, or us, wow, just told me before we started recording that Perk got a piece in the Wall Street Journal. That's right. What's the title of the piece? The title of the piece is how environmental reviews and activists delay. No. <laughs> I didn't write the headline, right? We, no, no, no. They never, editors rarely, uh, rarely use the headline that you write. The title is, if you bear with me for a moment or you edit this part out, how environmental activists, that's it, how environmental activists and reviews can worsen wildfires. Flowers and fires. Flyers. Wow, flyers. <laughs> Those damn flyers. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, a piece that points to a recent report we released uh, earlier in the month about the environmental review process and um, actually really interesting, kind of the most comprehensive data, actually, I think I can say that with confidence, um, to date on NEPA's impact on delaying forest management work. Mm -hmm. And like on average, it it delays. There's a whole... There's three different categories within NEPA, and then there's kind of the study looks at them in relation to prescribed burns in particular and the mechanical thinning as well. So there's a lot of different numbers to point to, but basically it can delay projects between like five and seven years. Um, oh or, my God. Or more, right? And there's nice. like countless examples and some from this summer of wildfires breaking out and destroying an ecosystem before any restoration work can be done. So anyway, it's a big problem. It's probably one of the bigger hurdles to actually getting restoration work done and taming yeah. the wildfire crisis. So super cool to see that research shared in the Wall Street Journal. That is awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And my CEO was, was laughing and, and celebrating the fact that we, we both broke our own rule and read the comment section. <laughs> and we were like, man, I love the journal. Like every comment was just like enthusiastic and supportive and not like accusing us of being whatever whatever yeah <laughs> chills climate of something. Nazis yeah, or climate, something. Yeah, yeah whatever it is yeah exactly so anyway good stuff well jonathan wood is the author and you can you can i encourage folks to look it up sweet all right mm-hmm. we'll we'll get that well i'm sure it'll be on twitter if it hasn't already been it is yeah yeah, yeah. okay so we'll Tune in. You can find that. Yeah. Um, to celebrate our our beautiful reunion, uh, <laughs> back to Whiskey Bench, we have a fun drink. Yes. Because you know what? It's hot. I'm dehydrated, and I needed a little bit of some refreshment. And thanks to Kat in uh, tagging me in a post, we are having frozen Negronis. Ooh. And we had decided a while ago that we're gonna we're gonna refeature drinks for sure. Because frankly, we this could just be like the Negroni bench. I would drink. Neg- I, I would drink. <laughs> Me too. I would drink Negroni, Negronis every week. So. And there's so many varieties. I know that so. we really wouldn't get bored either. Yeah, exactly. But we're hitting it old school with a Negroni, but with a nice modern twist. Yeah, it's like slurpy, slushy style. So good. So this comes from Drinks by Evie on mm. the good old Instagrams. Frozen Negronis. Two ounces of sweet vermouth, two ounces of Campari, two ounces of gin, six ounces of fresh orange juice, six golden berries, optional, 
can never find golden berries here. Hmm. I'm not even sure what a golden berry is. Um, I don't know. Exactly. They're not quite a kumquat, but they kind of look like a kumquat. Ooh. So I think they're a little similar bit, in flavor. I think or? they're a little sweeter. I love. But a they kumquat. still have a little bit of that tartness. Yum. Um, and then a little bit of simple syrup, two cups of ice, blend that sucker. The only difference is Fabulous. I did use fresh orange juice, which is great. Good oranges. Mm-hmm. I did do three, three, and three ounces. Nice. Good, good call. <laughs> one ounce each split. Like, come on. That's, no, it's, that's silly. That's, we are strong. <laughs> yes. um, so this is like standard Negroni size, in it, but blendy in, in a giant cup. It's so, so delicious. It's, it's so refreshing. Also, shout out to Alicia, our biggest fan. Mm-hmm. She's the one who, she shared this drink with me, and then I was like, I have, Torna has to make this. It's the first and eldest whiskey baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Who you got to meet on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Yeah. You that, got to. That was so fun. That was a very fun your night, are, actually. Your friends are fun. <laughs> that was great. I think my favorite part was when we wound up at the Eagle, and you guys were all playing pool, and Griff was just like, killing it. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> yeah. And then probably the a moment I will never forget. Uh, Griff is my hero. He's really good at pool and he owns an AK-47. Yeah, Griff's awesome. And he had a, <laughs> he has, he's, I think you know this, an artist and his mural is on the wall in the Eagle. Mm-hmm. So that was just cool to like be there. But when you guys went outside and Love Shack came on, Alicia oh. and I... That's a special song for us. And we just like boogie down. Love Shack. Like, I got a Cadillac. It's as big as a whale. And and it's it's about to set sail. sail. Yeah. B-52s. Nice. All right. It was great. There were like, for listeners who aren't familiar, the Eagle is a funny, well, it's the fraternal order of Eagles. Right. It's a funny old crusty bar. I think it's mostly kind of an Alkies bar. For sure. And the dance floor had, like, a cute older hippie lady and some, like, dorky middle-aged folks. And me and Alicia. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it was very fun. Oh, that was fun. Then we asked them to play Frank Zappa, and they were like, who? And I think no, we left after that, which is <laughs> <So just> fine. <laughs> it was great. Anyway, Frozen Negroni, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Very pretty, too. Uh yeah, ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful. It's like a sunset. Yeah, the ice is great. Oh, so refreshing. Okay, so lots of of great things. I'm very happy. We might as well ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, get down to business tonight. Mm-hmm. So we've been uh, discussing a little bit of kind of what we want to dive into next. Our plan was the whole Hunter Biden fiasco, which is still coming. But the longer we wait, the more stuff can be verified. There's a lot of weird stuff floating around, and the validity is often difficult to determine. So we're shifting gears a little bit. We're going to do an update on Afghanistan this evening. It's been over a year now. Just about a year. Yeah. By the time this is released, probably exactly a year. Was it it August that we... I think the like mid August is the official. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so done, not done. quite. Not, the whole shit yeah. show was starting at this point. Right. So not yeah. quite a year, but uh, yeah. we're approaching quickly. Yeah. And um, there hasn't been a lot of reporting on Afghanistan, which is interesting. So I, this whole week, I had to dig back into a lot of older articles. Mm-hmm. There is nonstop articles about Iran. 
everyone has articles about Iran and have been pushing for at least two months now. And obviously there's a lot of important stuff happening right there. Yeah. But Afghanistan, I like pretty much just has been forgotten by like the Wall Street Journal hasn't really had any articles about Afghanistan in the last couple of months, honestly, unless I missed something. But I was searching through and found a couple on uh, the New Yorker, a few here and there in the last couple months, but definitely stuff has slowed down in the news cycle, but obviously not so much in the country itself. So we're going to dive into a little bit of some updates. Just uh, it's not really news and brews, but kind of, I guess. I don't know. This is a new news. It's a one off long form. One off long form. Yeah. The news and Negronis. Yes. So where do we want to start? I don't know. I have like a, I have sort of a, a quick little kind of, I mean, it really is depressing. Just a quick little rundown of, Kind of the status, and then I have a little bit more detail on uh, sort of the negotiations over their reserves, and and then the Pentagon's after action report. Wonderful. So I don't know where you want to start, but let's do. I guess the overview. We can just kind of paint a picture. I I don't think any of this will come as a shock to listeners, but people are life is pretty brutal. Uh, people are being persecuted. Um, people are starving. Homosexuals are being murdered outright, just blatantly. Forced marriage and child brides are back. Any independent journalism that existed prior to the collapse of the Afghan government has been completely eviscerated. Um, women are not allowed <clears throat> to. Yes go back to the jobs they had prior to the collapse. Right. Um, that has affected the global economy something like a billion dollars. Is that right? Just in the in the fact that women aren't working now. Yeah. Which is, I believe it's like 8% of their G- GDP. Oh, wow. Just in jobs lost from banning, yeah. banning women. Well, and they've been instructed to send a male relative as a replacement. Just like they might not have anyone to send, right. and they also the people they have to send might have no skill set to do what yeah, they do. Right? Or so. chances they were already doing something else. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, good lord. Okay, it's a real shit show. One of the bigger issues for the country, just in terms of the economics and like food and energy security, is the fact that foreign aid has almost entirely dried up. Mm-hmm. Uh, direct foreign aid had financed about seventy percent. I've also seen 80%, so I think somewhere between the two, but a significant, the vast majority of um, the Afghan government budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that that foreign aid has dried up, they, I mean, there's there's no money coming into the country. Right, it, because it, uh, earlier this year, $303 million was sent by the U.S. for, it was like for COVID relief in Afghanistan. But other than that, I haven't seen anything else. I think other, I mean, I think there are... This is just U.S., because the U.N. is doing stuff as well, but or was. Yeah, like, I think, I think certainly countries are helping, like, after the earthquake that happened in June, more, mm-hmm. you know, more aid has been flown in, um, and some of it not in the form of, like, cash, but in the form of, like, food and mm-hmm. actual material relief, but it, it doesn't compare to what that aid had been. Now, having a economic model that relies entirely on foreign donations is not sustainable mm-hmm. of course but anyway so th- they've been severely impacted right they're also suffering a drought right now so that on top of everything else has severely reduced crop yields they are also impacted by 
the war in Ukraine um, and the inability to get grain exports out. So starvation is starting to set in. Parents are doing, there's reports of parents doing just unthinkable things like selling their, I think the Washington Post had a story about a nine-year-old daughter who was sold as a child bride because her parents Mm -hmm. couldn't afford to feed her. Parents are selling organs. Right. There's now a pretty prominent market for it and like legitimate doctors at hospitals are like doing removal of organs for patients and like being a middleman and like people that either need a transplant or on the black market are like they're the doctors are playing a middleman in like coordinating the deal Mm. and these these men i was watching interviews of some parents and uh he had two daughters and he's like yeah i sold a kidney for equivalent of twenty three hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! And he's like, "It's enough to feed my daughters at least for a while." Um, and then a lot of the goods are upwards of double in price from where they were last year. And so, looking at the the price of things, it's very interesting to see. It might have been a BBC video I was watching. They were walking through and going through some of the markets. And this was just a couple of weeks ago. Crazy, like a thing of you know, like canola oil is like equivalent to 18 US dollars. So like they're seeing prices that way inflate anything that we're even paying in the states for these goods. Oh yeah. In a market where they don't have that kind of money. Yeah, and their currency or, is completely or devalued. like grains. Yeah. Um going for like $30 a pound. Right. And like just crazy stuff and it's like okay, you sell say you sell your kidney for $2300. Doesn't get you it's much. It's not going that far. I yeah. mean, we're talking a couple months maybe of just food. Right. Which is just awful. I think 95% of the population is facing food scarcity mm-hmm. and over 50% are now facing legitimate like clinical starvation. Yeah. Which is just crazy. And like the pressure is just mounting, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, there's no relief in sight. So it's, there's, is and will be more suffering. That earthquake that happened in June killed a thousand people. And obviously there's, I mean, not much ability to rebuild. So it's pretty devastating. Um, one story that we will link in our show, show notes is from a journalist that works for Foreign Policy magazine. Um, and she wrote a piece. She had been correspondent reporting from Afghanistan for, for many years. Um, she's sort of known by the Taliban, actually. Um, and she was there just recently a month or so ago, I think post-earthquake, she was captured and yes. detained for a couple of days and eventually released. And she's back. I think she's Australian. So or, or is that correct? Yeah, I think she's Australian. So now she's back home. But anyway, I wanted to just read a, a part of her uh, piece because I think it paints a really clear picture of what is happening. Um, so I'll read that. Everywhere I went in the short time I was in Kabul, people told me of their fear their loss, their disgust, their desperation. Most have no jobs, no money, no hope for their future or or the future of their children. What I found was a violent peace. People are arbitrarily detained, disappeared, interrogated, beaten, killed. It could be for any reason or no reason they will never know. Taliban are pitting neighbor against neighbor, encouraging people to spy and report on each other. Fear is digging in and it's here for the long haul. The men in charge are violent men, proud of their violence. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Abdul Kahar Balki, who spent years living in New Zealand, 
called me a, quote, white supremacist colonialist (laughs) and threatened me with violence by reminding me of a 2016 Taliban attack on a local television station after it carried a false report and refused to retract it. Quote, we are proud of that, Baki said. I told them that innocent people had been killed in the suicide attack on a bus taking employees home. Quote, and we are proud of that, he said. And I told him a friend of mine was among the dead. Quote, and we are proud of that, he repeated. I was told that articles I had written for foreign policy were fantasies, lies, concocted, and that my sources did not exist. And if the stories were true and the sources did exist, I was ordered to hand over all their names and details as well as notes, photos, voice recordings, and video. Quote, there are no gays in Afghanistan, I was told by one of the intelligence agents who came for me, who refused to tell me his name. His fellow agent, Ahmed Zelhil, told me that if he learned anyone was gay, quote, I will kill them. It's the end of that segment. But paints a pretty grim picture of what people are facing there. Yeah. And it was really hard um, to find any updated figures on how many allies and citizens are left behind, American citizens. I think officially... The State Department is still saying like somewhere between like maybe around 100 or 200, which is what they were saying immediately after the evacuation. Yeah. And people continue to be evacuated. I mean, I think I think like over 100,000 people have been evacuated. Right. So as of January of this year, there was 14,000 people with at least U.S. visas that were still there. Like pending. Pending. I haven't seen any updates, but I know that there are still American citizens that are there. Right. And I believe the number as of this month is still something like 58,000 like allies yeah. that are pending right. and would like to come here and right. are on lists and all sorts of stuff like yeah. that, like that aided the United States, right. are eligible for visas and things like that. Well, and, and we made it so fucking difficult. Well, one, we gave nobody any real warning right. and actually encouraged people to stay for political reasons, trying uh-huh. to, to save face and say and convince the world that it wasn't the government wasn't going to fall when I'm sure the intelligence knew that yeah. it was. Oh, my God. And the Biden administration has the nerve to just this month announce that they've like streamlined the process for like vetting and getting people here. Like, well, good, good job. It took you a year to do that. A year later, all these people are, you know, scattered to the wind yeah. and have been in hiding if they're not killed already. If they're successfully, you know, hiding and still alive, they can't come out. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no embassy. How do they go and get the paperwork they need to prove who they are to pass the vetting to get out? Like, and I don't know what the solution is to that. Right. Like, we can't just open the floodgates. That's there's a natural security concern right. there. Yeah. But, you know, I don't mean to just, like, belabor a point that we already spent two episodes on, but, like, it's, I mean, we royally fucked this up. Trump and and Biden. But Biden, that administration should have had enough sense to change course and get a plan in place to get these people out before we left. So it's really horrific. And this is one of those things, you know, again, we noted this in one of our more recent episodes sort of talking about CIA meddling, you know, I, I, I don't want to be one of those people that blames all of the world's problems on the United States. I think that's has a level of hubris that's quite gross uh, and arrogant and, and naive. But this has a very direct link yes. <laughs> to us. And I do think 
that our intelligence services, our State Department, this administration, people in the Trump administration, like they do have blood on their hands for this. People suffering today are doing so in large part because of decisions made by people in the United States in power. Oh, yeah. Going back a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we could (laughs) we could really draw the line back and it's like everybody. But right. Yeah. But no, it spans like six yeah. administrations it really or does. however many. It really yeah. does. But yeah. obviously the pinnacle, is, pinnacle has been the last two. So. Yeah. Yeah. This in particular could have been avoided. Absolutely. It could have. Absolutely. And then there's other things that would compound it, right? Like the war in Ukraine and drought and COVID and, you know, a million mm. other things. But it didn't have to be as bad as it is. No. And then, you know, what ended up happening pretty, pretty quickly after the withdrawal and Taliban taking control is that the country needed aid. They had a massive drop in their production. It's projected by the end of this year that they will have lost 35% of their, their annual um, gross, like production, their GDP, not GDP, but just their, um, a different measure. I don't know what you would call it. Like gross, gross production. So like what they're actually making and exporting and, so not GDP, but like their output. Yeah, like their output, which is massive, right? And then a bunch of banks froze foreign assets and all sorts of stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And that further pinched. Yeah, that's a pickle. Banks, right? Which, right? You're like, okay, they should do this, but then people weren't able to get their money. Right. And just like anything, it's like, oh no, we've got to show the Taliban what's up, and then it's like, okay. Now it's just all the people that are really suffering. Yeah. It's like, okay. There was a time to show the Taliban what's up. Yeah. (laughs) It's not now, I don't think. We handed them the keys to the city. I don't think. uh, Starving its people is the way to get back at, you know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so now you could argue in order to protect Western countries from the threat of terrorism, we're willing to starve millions of innocent Afghanis. Mm Mm-hmm. That's kind what of is what it, it is. Twenty three million people in Afghanistan, so I don't know the population. So we'll starve twelve million for uh Yeah. Well Might be more, more than, than that. that. It's just starting, right? <laughs> Maybe the majority of the country. Yeah. It's pretty horrific. I have some information about the like financial reserves. Do we wanna Yeah, I think that'd be good kind of context. Just let us there? Mm-hmm. Okay. So roughly nine billion in reserves have been held outside of Afghanistan. Seven billion in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. The U.S. and the Taliban, we have been trying to negotiate a deal to release $3.5 billion to the Taliban government. Uh, Biden has requested that the money be set aside, quote, for the benefit of the Afghan people. So he said that they should use it for good, good reason, yeah, good purposes. Good so we'll, right. <laughs> I'm sure that means it'll happen. Um, well, we've mentioned this before. And like the thing is, no matter how brutal the Taliban is. They don't want the people in the country to starve to death because, frankly, it's just a bad logistical issue. Yeah. So if they we, don't mind if certain people starve. True. To death. But like the problem is with with any money that's given, they are going to use funds to feed people. But one point two billion dollars is a lot of money. And you know that the majority of it is just going to be in coffers. And it's going to be used to leverage, oh, yeah. right? So it's like... Enrich themselves and commit terrorist attacks yeah, around the world. Right. They will. Yeah, for sure. And then it's like... And Al-Qaeda is, it is known, it is not, they cannot deny it, Al-Qaeda is in bed with 
the Taliban in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. Which means, I mean, this money will trickle trickle down to Al-Shabaab and, right, like, people will get, be getting their arms cut off in North Africa with, like, U.S. funds. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can't draw, like, a perfect line to that, but, right. but it will be used for horrific things. Well, and this is what's so wild, though, is because now there's this even further conflict going on where now you have the resurgence of ISIS. Yeah. And so you have Taliban fight, fighting ISIS actively. Right. ISIS is targeting Afghani people, mm-hmm. um, Syrian as well. I mean, we we talked about this a couple news and brews ago, or the last news and brews, a surge of, of terrorism. And so yeah. in North Africa, you have ISIS popping up all over the place. Yeah. Um, I believe I had mentioned um, a massacre on that camp. I think now it's been linked to ISIS. Uh, um, okay. So you've got, you know, yeah. you have Kodeko, you have ISIS, you have Al Qaeda, all in North Africa. And they fight each other. And they fight each other. Yeah. And then you have, now that the United States is pulled out, you now have like Russian presence mm-hmm. all throughout the Middle East. You have China yep. present. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're also moving into North Africa, which is now a threat further to like Europe. Right. That terrorist organizations are in like Morocco. Yeah. Just literally a stone throw away from Spain. Yep. It's just like, holy moly, it's just this compounding wild ride and i had mentioned this this before like it's it's a it's a horrible situation that leads to very good leverage for the people that want to take advantage of it so china russia even things like yeah iran i could even see saudis potentially getting involved because there's interest in that whole area of well they'll be perpetually fighting iran for dominance in the region and us leaving gives a leg up to iran yeah. It also has brought the Saudis and Israel closer than they certainly have ever been before. So there's mm-hmm. some benefit there, right? Like it's kind of forced them to accept the realities and realize mm-hmm. that they need to ally. But um Yeah. And then it's this question of like there ne- there does have to be some kind of apparently there's gotta be some stabilizing factor, you know, and if it isn't us, who's it gonna be? Certainly not gonna be Europe. Anybody from Europe. <laughs> so uh no, not yeah. that I can see. So you I know mean, we maybe, really maybe maybe the UN would try to meddle, but like the UN already is getting shut down in so many feckless. places. Yeah. All yeah. across the Middle East, the UN is I mean, there's just been a couple deaths due to protests against the UN's involvement. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh might have been in Yemen. Oh wow. Uh, wow. it's either Yemen or, or Sri Lanka or something. There were some yep. like counter protests to the UN even being present, and some mm-hmm. people got shot. And this was like just two days ago. Wow. Yeah. This is the thing. <laughs> so much of the Middle East and North Africa, frankly, don't like the West. Yeah. But of course, we, we just have been. <laughs> we have just been there for two hundred years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We were just sort of like, we want- yeah, I know. And and the UN's like. Let me help you. And those <laughs> poor people are like, we don't want your help. You don't help us. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that is another question where it's like, you know, I don't know. Maybe it all has to, maybe it does have to descend into chaos and it's not our role. And all we need to focus on is preventing, yeah. like, keeping our citizens safe. Right. Narrow our scope. But to get, to get back to the reserves, because there's, there's a oh, right, bit yes. of a story here. So, Okay, so nine billion has been held at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York since we left last summer. 
or excuse me, 9 billion total has been held outside of the country, 7 billions at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. We and the Taliban have been trying to negotiate a deal to release 3.5 billion to the Taliban government. There's another 3.5 billion that is being contested in lawsuits against the Taliban stemming from this 9-11 attacks. Um, so courts could what decide is, to release what, those funds. What is the world that we live in? Where like there's <laughs> like global lawsuits against the Taliban 21 years after 9-11, <laughs> about 9-11. Yeah. This is why NEPA is such a... This is why just, people... It's, litigious it's just, people, were really. It just never ceases process. to amaze me. And slow like it's process. terrifying and beautiful how just like complex the world is. Yeah, I know. It's insane. And you're just like, okay, this is... And like the levels of formality that are, I know. seem odd. Yeah, I know. Um, it's like, wait, you can like... We're, we're trying to like legally reason with the Taliban. And I'm sure they have like top notch, like incredibly well educated lawyers, like within the Taliban. Just like ISIS had like these incredible, like. They're fairly sophisticated. Right, right. Because yeah. they've got like these. Beyond what we would, our caricature of them is. Yeah, certainly. well, they're incredibly yeah. organized. Same thing with ISIS. Like, yeah. yeah. If you learn, if you know anything about like the caliphate, incredible. Well, and, and the biggest difference, I mean. And obviously, Taliban and ISIS are very different. Just right make that clear yeah so, and hate each other right um but yeah they you know i'm sure this will be <laughs> intentionally forgotten but leading up to us leaving afghanistan before the shit hit the fan there was basically democrat talking points circulating and and i should say and on the populist right talking mm -hmm. points circulating that the taliban had modernized yeah it was different now and the reality is the Taliban is the same Taliban in terms of its ideology and its brutality, but it did become more sophisticated in its communications. Yeah, And they make absolutely. videos and they have podcasts and they make, you know, they have a whole like basically news site you can go to to get like briefings and updates and blog posts and, right. you know. So, so they did modernize. Yeah, they did, you know, <laughs> and they utilize certain social media platforms that they can be on, you know, yeah. that are not American, but use other in the rest of the world. Um, yeah. This week I got on a few websites that were like Afghan times and stuff like that. And there all these random websites I would like get on and be like <laughs> checking browser. And I was like, Oh no, what does uh -oh. that mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. What's going on? And I got into all of them, but who knows? You're being watched by the CIA I'm and sure, the Taliban. Right. I'm just trying to. Yeah. <laughs> You're an Great. enigma. No one, yeah. they won't be able to. They won't know what to do with you. <laughs> well, joke's on you. I don't like you both. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so uh, I, got, I got a joke. Uh, okay, go for it. <laughs> uh, a Taliban member and a CIA agent walk into a bar. What happens? I immediately leave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I burn the place down and leave. Um, oh. <laughs> so one of the sticking points in these negotiations is that the U.S. wants to replace the Afghanistan Central Bank's top political appointees because most of them are under U.S. sanctions, terrorism sanctions. One in particular, Deputy Governor Noor Ahmed Agna, Aga, A-G-H-A is the last name. He's under U.S. terrorism sanctions. Of course, they don't want to replace any of those people. So the main idea that's been presented and being negotiated right now is that they would 
not just release the funds and give it to their central bank. What they would do is create a separate, basically, trust fund that is managed by a third party. And funds would only be released after an international board approved of whatever the use of those funds was. Yeah. So the Taliban apparently isn't completely opposed to the idea of creating the trust, but they are opposed to, well, let me back up. And they're also apparently open to the idea of allowing a State Department appointed contractor to monitor monitor Afghanistan Central Bank and make sure that they're in compliance with anti-money laundering laws and, and sort of uh, international laws regarding clarify, that. Yeah. State-sponsored as in Afghani state-sponsored or United States state-sponsored? What is the state sponsor? What are you referring you to? You said that... I'm, sorry. You said that back, yeah. they're open to the idea of having like a state-sponsored... State Department appointed. State Department, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, United States? Yes. Okay. Yes, having us Uh, pick out uh, who the contractor is to make sure that they're in compliance with international laws regarding like money laundering and terror financing. So they're apparently they're okay with that. I'm so hopelessly cynical. I've got so many things going through my brain right now. (laughs) It's like we're going to start another orange revolution. They're going to start trying to like replace Taliban members with like who we want. Yeah. All it's. It's like Groundhog Day. Ukrainian Nazis there. Groundhog Day, but it resets 20 years. Every- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So so apparently they're open to that. They don't mind the fund. They don't mind us picking out someone to monitor at all. Well, how um, modern and reasonable of them. Right. But their concern, and it's true, is that, or it's valid, is right. that this trust would basically just evolve into a parallel central bank. And it would. I mean, oh, it would. Right. Yeah. So they would lose some autonomy, of course. So Right. But then the other thing, too, is like with the, this other setup, there would be actually no incentive for outside money to do any dealings other than through the trust. Right. Exactly. Because it's backed by the United States. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Who's going to like, unless you're trying to launder money. So actually, maybe you would. I guarantee it's easier to launder money through a United States government <laughs> trust than the central bank in Afghan. That's maybe true. <laughs> Yeah, because there'd be like less dysfunction, but probably, I mean, if they're open to having that person be like an inspector, they're probably just planning on like intimidating and <laughs> like right. blackmailing them into right. doing what they want. But anyway, <laughs> so, but the idea that, so the money, so the U.S. is not willing to even get there, to even take that step until, and not just the U.S., basically Western nations like Europe and Australia and us and New Zealand, et cetera, Canada, want the Taliban to improve their record on human rights, especially as it relates to LGBTQ and women. That is that is fair. Yeah, it is, but right? that's not going to happen. No, it's not. So and, it's, and yeah, it is weird though because there's really. always that there is that like weird pressure. What is the current state of education for women? Because I know immediately they none were, they were barred. Yeah, but then like. Because of three this, three months ago, they then retracted that. In so, in March, they were having meetings in Doha. Mm-hmm. These negotiators from both sides were, and that was one of the U.S.'s stipulations: was that women needed to be educated, mm-hmm. and they needed to open that back up. And they said they would, and then they reneged on it, and ah. so we canceled the talks. That was in March. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 
So I missed that detail. Okay. Yeah. So they're so they're not being educated. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Not but working, for a while they were like kind of playing along, right. thinking they could get this deal. So the Taliban's also promised to investigate any alleged killings, and they say that they're working to secure Afghans' rights to education and free speech within the parameters of Islamic law. So, so like, we have two different definitions of what those things are, right? Like, right. the Western world and the Islamic world. Yeah. Fundamentalist Islamic world have very different definitions of those things, so we're this never going to meet. so difficult, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, at the end of the day, part of me says, like, we left, so we have literally no grounds in trying to enforce Anything? Western ideals. I, that's, I know. We left. Agreed. I know. I we know. abandoned them. I know. So why should we expect yeah. th- the the new the new rulers right. to uphold that? I mean, that's like what to be a frank, my dad pointed this out when it happened, like right before so LGBTQ or gay pride month is June, right? I think. I think uh, that's right. It's June. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's okay. June. So literally a month before we or a month and a half before we start pulling out and the whole fucking thing falls apart. Every U.S. embassy was flying a gay flag and like a pride flag and some were flying the trans flag mm-hmm. in countries where like the- our Western values say it's wrong to hurt to, you know, subjugate or not acknowledge those people. And I agree. I, I don't think that we should be marginalizing anybody. Yeah. Other than like you know, people that are doing abhorrent things. Yeah, like, like pedophiles. Pedophiles, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, murderers or whatever. But but yes, people with that sexual preference, whatever. But to have no sense of the culture that your embassy is surrounded by yeah. and really have no fucking respect for it, it's just, it's, it's, it's insult to injury that right before we then pull out and abandon all these people we're antagonizing the thing that's marching towards the Capitol to destroy it, you know, and yeah, to kill well, all those and, people. And now I've, they're being killed yeah, because we left. And I've mentioned that. I think I mentioned this before on like uh, another episode, but also you have like the U.S. in. I don't know if it was Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq or whatever, but in a Middle Eastern country that has very different ideals than the West. Right. Like forcing communities to allow women to be present at like town meetings and yeah things like that, right, right right yeah and then when inevitably because there's five to six thousand years of deep-rooted right like ideals embedded in here uh the men and frankly a lot of the women in the community weren't happy with that decision right and then the u.s then proceeded to brutally beat people that weren't going to obey the demand that like women be present right yeah yeah and again it's like well this is why we lost the war because we never took the time to understand the enemy and their culture and we viewed everything through our really like limited western perspective right yeah and like it's just so interesting yeah that i'm going on a rant right now but it's like it's so interesting to hear everyone complain all the time about like the colonial mindset or colonization but then (laughs) Like the people that have that mindset would have zero issue in enforcing Western ideals upon non-Western countries. Totally. Because yeah. of some weird, like they're primitive or they're backwards because of what they believe. Mm-hmm. 
and like this is the greater good and the righteous thing to do. Yeah. But then simultaneously like turn a blind eye to like the horrible, you know, pedophilia that's rampant in a lot of that culture. Right. It's just like it, nothing makes sense. I know. I know. And yeah. It's just wild. Totally. I think that's actually that's a really excellent point about the colonial charge, colonialist charge yeah. and and the irony of of our approach. And now frankly, let's be blunt, woke progressives decry and label any enemy they have as a colonialist. But they also want to impose their really frankly like nouveau ideology on everyone including yeah. cultures that for thousands of years have resisted the stuff that they promote you know anyway um i also think it's really interesting that in that quote that i read that uh one of the taliban members that was detaining that journalist called her a white supremacist colonialist which is and so funny yeah like horrible but like it's funny right because they're they're aware of this culture and the other thing this makes me oh, that's so intentional. mad they said that intentionally. This is what, like, yeah. the Taliban taking control, ISIS taking control, yeah. or the United States taking control, or whatever, that's literally, that is the definition of colonialism. Right. Like, the Taliban are colonialist. Yeah. In the sense that they're taking well, control, and they're, well, ex and they're exploiting little, they're the resources. Foreign, though. No, but they're implementing their ideology against the people. I see, okay. Right? Sure. And they're exploiting the resources, and like, all this stuff, right? Yeah. And it's like this weird, maybe it's just the, the time, but like any occupying group that is taking control of an area that then has to change the rules or enforce stuff against yeah. like that's a form of yeah, not call, yeah, like colonizing. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Oppression or yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Totally. It's well, like very interesting. And I think in terms of their like calm sophistication and we see this. In China, like official like state media rhetoric and talking points and out of Iran and, and Russia and all of our enemies do this. They parrot the progressive left's talking points, damning America. And I think it won't, but it should, in my opinion, make the progressive left pause yeah. and recognize one that they're a joke and that they're being exploited by some of the most like horrific people in the world. But mm -hmm. to your point, they're like have this weird, naive, just like inconsistency in how they, who they charge with being oppressors. So I guess they don't recognize that like the communists in China are brutal and evil and killing people. But anyway, but yeah, it's I think it says a lot about what when your ideology is weaponized effectively by your enemies, I think that make should make you pause and rethink your ideology. Yeah. So it's anyway, it's it, that's a level of sophistication that he called her a white supremacist. I think that shows like a level of marketing communications that is right, right. Well, it, well, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, is like it's because so much of that ideology has just become so just silly. And it's like yeah, I can, it's a fucking joke. Yeah, and it's, it's not the rooted same, in it's reality. It's the same thing with like yeah. you know your retweet the other day with Whiskey Bench of like progressive legitimately advocating for segregation again. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Or like uh, what was it? A, last year or two years ago, where they like overturned 
one of the like or wanted to overturn in California one of like the civil rights movements because they were like it's bad that we can't discriminate on the basis of race. Oh yeah, like in terms of And I think of... they actually did. It was like housing related, if oh, I remember correctly. I don't know. But yeah, there what there certainly has been a broader debate about around like whether or not yeah, we could we should in, in like in particular in the college application sphere or debate mm-hmm. college admissions, I should say around whether race should be like a deciding factor and like how far affirmative action should go. And yeah, and there are some really radical leftists who have argued that we should do away with those uh, civil rights safeguards. And that, I mean, that's one of the main talking points is that colorblindness is racist Mm -hmm. and we should all recognize how different we are and we should have different, you know, we should have access to different things and we should have, we should compensate certain races over others and show preference to certain races over others. And yeah. So which, yeah, it's just, it circles right back to where it was. But, and and I think if he had an honest conversation with a lot of these people, we're diverging a lot right now, but if you had an (laughs) honest conversation with some of those people, I think they want to see just simply a reverse of the oppressive system in the U S that existed prior to the civil rights movement. But they just want to be the people who are in who have power yeah. instead oh, yeah. of being the ones who are oppressed. But they want to oppress white, yeah. white yeah. people, frankly. Yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah. yeah. So, which to me is like, okay, so you, so that evil, the evil is that like mentality and that culture. And they don't want to eradicate that. They just want to harness it. Right. Yeah. And like that's, I mean, that's, that's a poison in so your society. Anyway, my whole point of this whole thing yeah, is sorry. like, yeah, it's easy to parrot and make fun of and right. And, you know, cheap jabs cuz it's like, honestly, it's kind of meaningless, right? Now to call someone like a white supremacist colonizer. Yeah, it means nothing. Like that's you could be like a, you know, a minority like slightly conservative person with like a decent understanding of economics and be called a white supremacist colonizer. Yeah. Clarence Thomas is a white supremacist because he's, you know. Yeah, it's literally who I was thinking of. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Because he's conservative and doesn't like abortion. He's a white supremacist. Even though he's black. Well, all right. That's complicating. So funny. So ridiculous. Yeah, like when Kataji Brown Jackson was officially (laughs) brought into the Supreme Court. Like, I mean, most headlines qualify that she was the first black woman but there was a lot of discussion as if like Clarence Thomas didn't exist and she was the first black person to be put on right, the Supreme Court. Right. You know, and you're like, oh, there's another sitting yeah. Supreme Court judge. Right. Uh, or justice. Do you have more thoughts on the finances? Because I have, uh, there's some tidbits about this reporting. I don't really. It's just, we, we had mentioned this before. It's just like the unfortunate thing is that I don't think that the West. Well, one, I don't think we morally can because we abandoned them, but also like we won't not send aid. Yeah. And so the Taliban is just going to get a ton of money. Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of money to even remotely ease the pain that Afghanistan is feeling. Yeah. And this is going to be multiplied because it's not going to be efficiently used. Yeah. And to your point earlier, to respond to your point about how like, they have an incentive to not have it be complete chaos there. I would counter that maybe they do have an incentive because 
there's no fucking real industry other than like the opium trade, right? Which is now in an uptick. I'm sure it is. Yeah. 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 yeah these high, these people with these high moral standards are in the drug trade business, but they, but the country for the most part overwhelmingly relied on foreign aid. Mm-hmm. So, the, and there's no industry to speak of. And these people are, for the most part, economically illiterate. Like the Taliban running it are not, you know, Freedmanites trying to figure out an efficient way to create like an economy. So, anyway, um, I think they might have an incentive to exploit the suffering and the crisis to extract money from the West I, I for as do, long as I, they can. I do agree with that. And increasing, and, and the money will just go to them. Right. Although this is this is my push against that. They currently are controlling the country. And they are now also faced with an influx of ISIS presence within the country. Yeah. And if they don't ensure that they have at least somewhat yeah of a of a mission to take care of the people. Yeah. That then opens it up, which ISIS has already successfully done in the past. To come in and take care of these communities. Yeah, start recruiting people. Start recruiting. Yeah, that's that's true. And the, and that's that's the push, right? Because yeah. I think without the presence of ISIS, your assessment would be a hundred percent correct. Right. But ISIS throws a really big monkey wrench into the equation. That's true, and it is, and it and it will be this like, I was listening to some people um, from the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, which is a really good resource for a lot of international stuff, mm-hmm. but Afghanistan in particular. And they were making the point that like ISIS isn't going to topple the Taliban anytime soon, but they will be like a perpetual thorn in their side. Right. And like a problem that they have to spend resources managing. Yes. Although now I'm thinking so. the counter argument to my own counter, <laughs> the counter argument to my own counter argument to, to your argument. Yes. Is that ISIS doesn't, isn't going to be having the resources that the Taliban is. So like right. they're going to be getting funding, but ISIS might not necessarily have the resources to come in and be like, hey, we'll feed you. We'll take care of you. Yeah, they might not. We'll get you doctors. Yeah. Because that's a whole other thing that's going on right now. Like it's projected that infant mortality is going to increase like 10% this year oh, alone. Oh, gosh, I bet. Um, obviously, mothers can't feed their babies if they're malnutritioned. Huge issue of not having enough doctors, not enough resources. Th- things like massive earthquakes that affects infrastructure, which affects hospitals running and mm-hmm. just compounding, right? So healthcare is collapsing as we speak in Afghanistan as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm sure there are some saintly people who do have skills that stayed behind, but I would assume the vast majority of people who could get out. Now, of course, it was difficult to get out, but I'm sure the people who did manage to get out probably were the more educated people with like hard skills mm-hmm. right so yeah. there's like a brain drain effect that you have the people left over who are like not surgeons right. you know yeah absolutely so that's or not civil engineers right so yeah people are left without the capital or like the know-how mm-hmm. to manage any of it so every u.s agency that has been involved in afghanistan or has been involved in our involvement in Afghanistan is supposed to create something called an after-action report. And they're allegedly all working on that right now. <laughs> That's a funny statement. Just, just, <laughs> without any, they're allegedly all 
working on it right <laughs> yeah hopefully there who's all of them yeah i know well that's a good question yeah how many there's probably more agencies than we realize like there are probably some that we wouldn't think of that are involved but and the goal is just to sort of like establish an official record or narrative of our engagement <laughs> right. and involvement in afghanistan from like the beginning to now not just this the pullout the pentagon's after action report has made headlines recently because it was leaked that I think a good portion of it is going to be classified and remain classified, which is frustrating because there are no officially any, again, there's probably some saintly people who are still there, but there are no official American service people right there. And so there's and no, this is, and this is what's so interesting about that is that if the plan was to pull out of the country and we already have one of the CIA directors recently was talking about how, he was happy with the results in Afghanistan and all this stuff. And it's like, there shouldn't be anything classified. Yeah. No, there shouldn't. If it all went swimmingly. And if it all went swimmingly and we left and we're done there. Yeah, exactly. Well, why is anything classified? Right. And there's no national security concern for, for we're not going to be endangering anybody by sharing that information because they're gone. They're not there anymore. Right. right? Yeah. So I think it's more of like political. I'm sure. Face saving. But um, so there was a nit- an initial draft of the Pentagon's report that was submitted in March, but Pentagon officials sent it back <laughs> with instructions to, quote, broaden its scope. Okay. And some sources that are familiar with it said that the initial draft was pretty critical of the Pentagon and its role. Uh, and then, and then in the article that I'll link as a journal article, it's in, it'll be in our show notes. Um, then that source goes on to say, like, but that's not the reason why they sent it back. But I'm a cynical asshole, so I think that's probably why. They, I think they didn't get the right narrative they wanted, and they right. were like, add more context to With like a, make this probably less a list of pointed. suggested edits. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't be so horribly cynical. Today I was <laughs> today I was in the kitchen at Perk and I was talking with uh in the summer we have all these interesting research fellows that come and work with us over the summer and I was talking with one of them and I told her I was like cynicism's underrated and, and she agreed with me but then our operations director her over her and she was like cat that's awful and I was like uh, I stand by it but that's anyways fair, that's fair. So the State Department is also obviously putting together its own after action report. But in addition to that, or maybe it's a part of it, it's kind of unclear, but they're, they are investigating uh, the state, their own, the State Department's decision to begin evacuating Afghan allies and American embassy staff only after the government fell. It's like the whole thing is a clusterfuck. So they're so like they're investigating themselves to try to figure out like why did we do things this way because it did not make sense and it costs a lot of lives when asked about the report a spokesperson for the state department told the journal quote we don't presently have an update to provide but as we've said we will be as transparent as possible with the final report consistent with classification and other considerations so that little qualifier of classifications Mm. and other considerations kind of gives them leeway to not actually share anything Last year, Congress mandated the creation of a 16-member Afghanistan War Commission, which is charged with writing a full narrative of the conflict, starting with 
the invasion in 2001. There's no legal requirement for agencies to turn over their internal reports to the administration or excuse me, to the com- this particular commission. And so the commission is just hoping that the administration and these agencies will cooperate with them. Mm-hmm. The commission hasn't actually even fucking formally mm-hmm. convened or started because Republican leaders haven't named a co-commissioner. It's been a year. Good Lord. So both parties are totally dragging their feet. I don't understand why the Republicans are. Um, well, maybe I do. <laughs> Actually, there's probably a lot that reveals that, like, how the fuck ups on the Trump side. So they both have shallow political reasons to bury this all. And even congressional briefings by the State Department have remained classified. So, like, they're not letting any information out, which is really frustrating. Yeah. And so certainly none of this stuff is going to be released ahead of the November midterms. Um, And my guess is that the 2024 presidential election will serve as like another excuse to sort of kick the can. And if any report is released, it'll likely be heavily redacted and probably released at like a politically convenient time where the media can just ignore it. Yeah. So I don't know if we're ever going to get any real answers. It'll probably be a couple decades, just like Epstein, like our grandchildren will know about it. But we might not. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Dang. What a time to be alive. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So. Sad stuff. It is. There's a lot going on. And do you have any other updates on that? No, that was, that was it. Honestly, most of the other stuff that I have is just like instances with Taliban interacting with ISIS. And mm-hmm. frankly, I don't really care if they. Kill each other. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I know. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. not really important to the situation. Yeah. Cause as always, it's like the innocent people that uh, suffer. Well, and think how many innocent mm. people are now faced with the choice of cut my kidney out to feed my daughter or sell my daughter to some like gross 60 year old pervert mm-hmm. or like join up with one of these radical groups, right. you know, who might offer them a at stipend least, at for least being in the meal. military yeah. right? or, you know, whatever it might be. Or- right. Yeah, or some level of protection or, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So we are, you know, this is just, it's a hotbed now for radicalization. Which is is crazy. I do have one positive thing. Oh, good. (laughs) Which is nice. I will post this in the notes. There's a nice little um, from like Relief something other website that goes through all of the medical relief that's happened in Afghanistan over the last year. Mm. Um, and Doctors Without Borders has done a lot of really cool stuff. That's great. So it's a nice report on all the aid that they've brought in. Doctors Without Borders, in conjunction with some of their partners, have, like, if you look at the numbers, it's crazy. Like, seeing, like, 20,000 patients a month um, in field hospitals. Wow. Um, you know, relief for the earthquake going in. Mm-hmm. And they've got clinics, pop-up clinics all across the country in, in Kabul and um, multiple cities. And they, it's a nice little report of, like, Hey, they saw 18,900 children in the month of May. And, you know, there's this hospital with 60 beds and they were treating measles and like all sorts of stuff. So there's like, there is good, there is hope and good stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, that's, I wish, I'm really glad you have that to share. I wish I had thought to be more positive, (laughs) but, but yeah, there's been from private actors. Yeah. There's been a lot of good work happening. Nonprofit, private people that care. Yeah. Where there's not, there's not really any incentive for meddling or corruption or things like that. No, it's just and, people who genuinely care right, and have right. a connection. And yeah. a lot of like, I, I don't have any information about where this stands today. 
I would guess that the efforts are probably still ongoing, but certainly shortly after we left, there were a lot of like ex-military and some ex-like intelligence who were like putting together an LLC to like get what they needed to be able to start chartering planes and getting people out. I know, I know of a couple people. There's a big figure military guy that actively was okay. putting his yeah. own time and money together. Yeah. Got permission from superiors. They actually went there again yeah. and they were extracting people. Yeah. You know, kind of maybe you could interpret it as like, you know, vigilante activity, but it's like Totally. But that's uh, great. Screw the government if they failed. Yeah. Like, no, and that's I mean totally. And like that was very much the few that were interviewed in the stories that yeah. I read like a year ago. Yeah, that was kind of their sentiment was like fuck the u.s government we've completely failed but like we know these people because a lot of like i said a lot of these people are ex-military they served with these people they wanted to go back and like get their Mm -hmm. allies that helped them you know because they know their families they've stayed and lived with them like there's a you know connection there that yeah totally motivated them totally so so there's a little plug for volunteerism right yeah exactly and like in a very clear example of how like state coercion and monopoly fails eventually Yeah, yeah So that's that's the biggest thing that, you know, this is a bigger this is a bigger topic of just like taking care of things that need to be taken care of as an individual. I know it's easier said than done, especially with a conflict like Afghanistan. Yeah. But the people that are taking care of it are the people that have a connection there. Right. Yeah. So take care of what you can where you have connections. Right. And yeah. that's uh, that's a very that's all you can do. That's, all, that's a very beautiful thing. And that, and that we've seen this more and more as governments failed us and police agencies have failed us and fill in the blank. Yeah. And nice stories of just normal people mm-hmm. doing great things. Yep. Like. Humans are incredible. They are. And yes. they're capable of a lot of good. Yes. Yeah. And so carry on. Don't be hopeless. Yeah. Don't be hopeless. <laughs> don't be. Don't be grouchy and cynical like us. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's all right. I will say if you have a chance to have a frozen Negroni. Yeah. Go get one. Just don't turn it down. Do it. It is so good. I love this drink. It might be like in my top five. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Also, I did do something a little different. What'd you do? I didn't. I lied to everyone. But <gasps> now I'm confessing. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't think it was quite sweet enough. <gasps> you added sugar. No. Good. No sugar. What'd you add? I added some Aperol. Oh, interesting. That's part of the color. Yeah. And it also oh. made the color better. So, guys, I added like an ounce of You're Aperol. A little slut. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. uh, it's really good. It is really good. Well, there you go. So sneaky. I know it was sneaky. Just, I didn't want to. Didn't want to betray the, the the beauty of it, but I had. I couldn't lie. Someone, some astute observer would probably have questioned the color. Right. Yeah. Excuse me. It doesn't look right. That's not what Campari would look like. Yeah. <laughs> well either way it's delicious yeah. good call good executive decision on yes. that one then i also added some more gin <laughs> well there you go that's why i like it so exactly. much exactly <laughs> i was like it's not boozy enough for us <laughs> yeah. not with this topic <laughs> oh, no man but it's gonna be back cat yes it i'm is. glad that we had this discussion do not forget about afghanistan it seems like yeah. a lot of people have just frankly it's just the nature of our times and where we live yeah and yes, how politically motivated and shallow and short term our thinking is on a national scale. 
we recorded this in advance of the like official anniversary when there will probably be a flood of news stories. Um, yes. So hopefully it'll be released in time for that. And I don't even know what the spin is going to be. Um, Who even knows? Please check out our show notes. Thank you for listening. And like to your point, don't forget about it. Keep paying attention to it and yeah. don't buy the bullshit spin that comes from the White House on this topic. Yes. Absolutely. And from both sides, the populists who are like, it's a forever war, you know, like, yeah, no, well, we had a responsibility to these people and we really screwed them over. And right, right. We, we can't and, just and whitewash it. You guys should listen to our other Afghanistan episodes if yeah. you haven't and you're tuning in. Yeah. Because we do talk about that and I'm pretty adamant yeah. and firmly saying that, no, it's not a for it wasn't a forever war. No. It's been pretty low conflict for a long time there. Yeah. It was a minor presence that maintains stability. Right. And, and then. The unfortunate thing, we talked about this before, we were there, we had an obligation, it needed to be stabilized, we rejected our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Or at least withdraw with some fucking co- plan in place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> um, yeah, check those other ones out. Mm-hmm. Stay helpful. It's not all doom and gloom, there's plenty of good stuff out there. This is for another episode. We should we should address the cynicism soon. We just been in it. We've been in it so deep, but we'll 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 get into that soon. I don't uh, think cynicism. I really do think cynicism's underrated. Yeah, it can't be. It's got to be well. It's got to be well channeled. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't. I you, don't. You don't want it to turn into like some weird form of like narcissism, or not narcissism, nihilism. No, 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 no. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, you, yeah, certainly. Yeah, you got to be guided by some sort of moral principle that's not awful, but. Yeah. But I, I suppose when I say that, I'm thinking like, you know. The, the, the good thing about cynicism is that you don't get the wool pulled over your eyes. Right. And that's <laughs> yeah, the biggest exactly. thing. Like, you, you can't just look at something and be like, oh, it's definitely everything's jolly good. Right. Question everything. Maybe yeah. that's, I should stop yeah. saying cynicism is underrated and just say question everything. Here's, here's, here's my, here's my <laughs> closing thing. Read the book okay. 1984. Also, I just am about, I got one more chapter left. Oh, what are you reading? The Giver. The Giver, Lewis Laurie's oh. book series. It's very. Oh, I've read that. I've never read it. It's very yeah. 1984. Totally. Oh, it's been a long time. I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, just cool. Be dubious. Mm-hmm. Be be smart and dubious, and mm-hmm. and ask questions. Don't take anything at face value. Yeah. I'm preaching to the prior. Or preaching to the prior. I'm preaching to the choir. Right. Yeah. Probably. If you listen to this yeah. show, you probably do question everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it yeah. might be our sanity, but keep questioning. Question it uh, all. <laughs> join us on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. And leave a review. Leave a review. Any review. Honestly, yeah. I'll take a shitty review. Yeah. Just leave a fucking review. Yeah, five stars, always. Please. But, but five, yeah, but berate us. You five, can berate us. Five but- stars gives you. Right. Free reign. Free reign. Like you can, you can say <laughs> you anything. You can call me. I'm not going to say what I was <laughs> Racial slurs accepted. <laughs> no, don't say that. I'm Italian, so you can use Italian racial okay, slurs. Okay, all right. And you're Irish. We're not advocating so for you can use Irish racial the N-word slurs. or anything like that. No, 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 no. I know, but these things will get taken out of context one day. In like 50 years when you're oh, about my, to you're like right, get a right. big contract, right. someone will... People don't realize that it's... <laughs> we're Irish and Italian, and those are like pretty, you know... I'm also Hungarian. I'm a fucking gypsy. Gypsies are cool. Yeah, like... 
They're a little crazy, but that's they're fine. Cool. <laughs> See, so there's good there's good material here. Um, you know. Yeah. Have fun with it. You can always buy coffee. Buy some coffee. I'm like pushing this. Buy some jewelry. Buy a sticker. Yes. Go to Highline.network and you can find all the cool goodies and also explore other podcasts within the network. Our sister shows that are very different from our show. but So different. <laughs> but there's a lot of cool stuff. The coffee, the jewelry, the stickers. All the good stuff. All the stuff. Yeah. Love you guys. We will be diving into some other long format stuff. There might be a little bit more of a break. Yeah. Because I'm going home to California next yes. week. Go- okay, good. I'm glad that you're, yeah. yeah. Enjoy, relax. Yeah, so. Like I said, guys, it's been crazy. Trust us, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot going on in both of our lives. Yes. <laughs> so we so apologize for the inconsistency. We're working with what we got, but yeah. it's been a great time to like have some breathing room and focus on some yeah. stuff that matters. Yeah. And so we've got plenty of fun lined up. I think I'm really excited for the fall. Yeah. There's going to be some cool series coming up mm-hmm. where we're going to dive into like all things CIA and FBI. and Yeah. Fed. Yeah. Which I am so stoked on. Yeah. Calling the Whiskey Bench Spooktacular. Spooktacular, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be juicy. Yes. So I think that it should be, if we should do like, it should be like October Spooktacular and then like the November Glow Up. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so we can make fun of spooks and glowies. That's Just great. All, all of the fed slurs that we can tie into our, our I, series. I so. love it. So I we're going to do a little spooktacular and a little glow up. So. Fantastic. <laughs> Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Wait, I don't know where my glasses. It's right oh. there in the windowsill. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>